for the book of 2 Kings tonight. Again, we're excited as we have our new members reception slated for tonight. We uh, officially uh, officially, uh, and uh, visibly welcome our new members to uh, our church, so to speak, and we let them know how much we appreciate them joining us and becoming part of the family. And then, of course, we head on down there and we'll have an opportunity to have some refreshments and a time of fellowship. <clears throat> All right, Second Kings chapter 5, Second Kings chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read through the next 30 chapters. <clears throat> we'll see what kind of time we have for preaching. <clears throat> okay, maybe not that much, okay? Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Let's begin reading there. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now... When this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. It came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God, to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard, that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. His servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And returned to the man of God, he and all his company, came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. I like that last phrase, don't you? I like when he says in verse 15, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. I like that. Naaman was captain of the Syrian host. Syria had invaded Israel and had taken many of its inhabitants captive. It just so happens that a little maid, a young girl, was now Naaman's wife's servant. Naaman has leprosy, of course an incurable disease. The little maid, of course, recognizing that need, noting the wife's distraught character and countenance, says, man, I only wish, I only wish 
that he could go to the prophet in Samaria. If only he could visit the prophet in Samaria, he could be healed of his leprosy. I'm sure his wife begins to listen to this story over and over again. And finally she says, Honey, I'm getting, I'm hearing that there's a prophet in Samaria that can possibly heal your leprosy. We have tried all the doctors. We've tried every kind of ointment possible. We've taken every dip in every pool and we've sought every means by which to heal this leprosy, but to no avail. So I hear there's a prophet in Samaria. The king, of course, finds out about it and The Bible tells us that he now sends Naaman along with some raiment and some other types of things and says, okay, go on down there and meet that prophet. I'll send a note to the king and let him know that you're there for that purpose and that we're expecting you to be healed. Of course, the king of Israel is not real thrilled with that. As you well noted, as we read, he thinks, oh my, he's looking for an occasion by which to possibly come down now and attack us again or to be even more wroth with us than before. But before it all ends, when it all turns out, in the end, we find a man that is clean. Tonight, I want to share with you four thoughts from the passage. I want to note Naaman tonight. I want to just look at him and consider a couple of things. And I want to preach a message I've simply entitled, Muddy But Clean. Muddy But Clean. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We have no one else to go to, Lord, that can truly meet our needs. So, Father, we cry out to you tonight, asking, Father, for your leadership. We want you to speak to our hearts. We gather here tonight. Certainly, we want to honor our new members before the evening's out. But more than that, we want to honor you. Father, we're inviting you not only in our midst tonight, but we're asking you to meet with us in a way that will leave an impression on our lives and in our hearts. Now fill me with your spirit. Let me be your mouthpiece. Stand in my shoes. May I be in the spirit tonight, not this flesh. And Father, may you anoint every listening ear that they may hear. And Lord, may you remove all distraction. May you allow us to gather and to glean what, Father, only you can give us. We're needy people tonight, and so we cry out to you, looking for you, Father, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or thank. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, I want to note Naaman, and I want to look at it from this perspective. He was disillusioned. In our passage, we note that Naaman was disillusioned about some things. Now again, remember he has leprosy and now he's coming down to the man of God and there he finds his way to his house. He goes up, he knocks on the door. And when he knocks on the door, the man of God sends another one to him. Now, first of all, I want you to realize he's disillusioned because he expected special treatment. I mean, he was the captain of the Syrian host. Surely the man of God would drop everything to accommodate him, but instead he sends his servant. Now that didn't sit well with this particular man. Again, he is the captain of the host of Syria. He's not just the -the run-of-the-mill soldier. He's not just a sergeant even. He's not a captain or even a major. He is the general of all generals. He's so thought of that even the king of Syria sends a note to the king of Israel and says, I'm sending my man to you. Take care of him, heal him. He expected some special treatment. The Bible tells us in verse 11, But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. But that's not what happened. He didn't come out at all. He sent his servant. See, he was disillusioned, believing that he expected special treatment. Not only that, but he expected immediate results. Again, in the passage, it says he expects him to come on out. He'll come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. 
But see, he was wroth because that's not what happened, because he expected some special treatment. He expected immediate results. You know what I find really interesting about this? I don't know if you will. I find it extremely interesting. You guys quit coughing or I won't stop. You ever notice how that works? Once somebody starts coughing or something, sneezing or yawning, everybody starts. Yeah, I know. I'm having a problem tonight for some reason. It's Brother Rick's prayer. He prayed that I wouldn't. We know where, what kind of ground he's on tonight. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> it has to be something wrong with me, obviously. But anyway, <laughs> here's what I find really interesting about this. Is that Naaman thought he knew, get this, this is great, you're going to love this, I'm sure. He, he thought he knew what the man of God would do, and he expected it done. <clears throat> he goes to the man of God with a problem, and then now he's going to, he thinks he already knows the solution. See, what he forgot is that back home, all the physicians and the holy men concocted their potions and conjured up their spirits, but produced no results at all. And that's what he recognized. So he's assuming simply this man of God, obviously, like all other men of God, supposed to come on out and wave his hand over the leprosy and boom, healed. That's what he thinks is supposed to happen. He's supposed to put his hand on his forehead and say healed, and everything's supposed to be perfectly fine. Now listen, that's exactly what he thought. Those men may have placed their hand over the leprosy. Those men may have said some interesting phrases and words. They may have had some kind of of, of concoction that they even poured over it. I don't know, but what I do know is when it was all said and done, he was still a leper. It is funny, to me at least, and sometimes viewed as tragic in my eyes, how folks come to God's house or to God's man expecting him to do things like everybody else does. And when he doesn't, they get all huffy and act like they know better. They act as if they know what he should do and how he should do it. But then again, why are they seeking out the man of God in the first place? Just trying to figure it out. I mean, I believe that this man began a journey because nobody else had nothing and and nothing else had worked. Am I correct? So why is he so confident that he has the answers, first of all? And second, why is he so confident that the man of God is to do it a certain way? And yet everybody that he's been to has failed. And now he simply wants the man of God to do exactly what everybody else has done, even though that has produced no results. See, he already has some preconceived ideas of what the man of God should do and how he will do it. He also expected it to be done immediately and the results to be recognized now. Isn't that one of our greatest misconceptions as well? We expect our problems to go away immediately when we talk to the man of God or when we come to God's house. I mean, our marriages are falling apart over the last ten years. Our children's lives are wrecked and ruined over the last five. Life is a mess, and we come to the house of God, we get saved, we turn our life over to Jesus Christ, we begin to read our Bible, and literally, within a matter of a few months, we expect God to somehow fix all of our mess. I get a little upset with that, because what it leads to is people walking out the door of the church saying, God didn't work, I tried it. Well, I'm telling you something tonight is that the man of God is going to prescribe a prescription for this Naaman and Naaman's going to say, I think that's foolish. That doesn't make any sense to me. I've had a number of physicians tell me how to fix my problem and I know this can't possibly be the solution. And he didn't even want to try it because he knew better already. And yet, for some reason... 
He was desperate enough to go to the man of God, but now he doesn't even want to listen to the man of God. He was disillusioned. See, the Bible tells us in Philippians 1.6, in our own lives, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the work that's begun... I mean, God, the Bible is telling us that when we are saved, God began a work in our lives. He began the work. It's not finished. It's a work in progress. He goes on to tell us that the work is a work of a lifetime. So that means that we will be worked on till the end of our life here on earth. That, that, and therefore, that should be a clue to us on every important issue. It's an important truth. We've got to give us a clue now. That means that results are not always immediate then if God is constantly and continually working on us till the day we die. That means we're not going to be everything we ought to be till the very moment we're in His presence. For, therefore, problems will continue to be a part of our life and issues will have to be addressed and dealt with. And it sometimes means slow change. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Why does God tell us to wait on the Lord if everything's supposed to be immediate? And yet so often we're so frustrated with preachers and frustrated with counselors and frustrated with the Bible and even frustrated with God because my problem isn't being solved immediately. What's God doing? Isn't God listening to me? Of course He's listening. You're just not being patient. You want God to fix your problems immediately. And sometimes the problem isn't the problem you think it is. Too often the problem is us. And God's trying to do something in our life to temper us. To mold us. To make us. And the problem is we're not willing to let God do it in our life because we're too impatient. And we think we already have the prescription and know what he should be doing. We're disillusioned, just like Naaman was. See, Naaman expected special treatment and immediate results. Guess what? Also, though, he was disgusted. He was disillusioned, yes, but he was disgusted. That guy was really upset. Verse 12 and 13 tells us, Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away and what? A rage. A rage. I mean, he didn't just go away. I don't, that's crazy. That, that, that man of God's nuts. No, he didn't do that. He didn't even go away going, you're crazy. No, he didn't do that. He went away in a rage. He went away flailing. Man, I can't believe that guy. I could kill him. That's how he went away. And he had the power to do it. He was in a rage. He was so mad that if you'd have stepped in front of him, he'd have probably leveled you, possibly killed you. He'd done it to a number of men before. Listen, I'm telling you, this is something that this man's wrath and rage, I mean, it was even more than wrath, it was rage now. He was downright disgusted. Simply disgusted. He continues on here. And his servant came near. I can only imagine how cautiously and carefully he came near. And spake unto him and said, My father. My father. If the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, would it not Wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean? Tries to reason with him a little bit. I guarantee you, a soft answer turneth away wrath. I'll guarantee you, he didn't get in his face, and I'll guarantee you, he didn't raise his voice. Hey, what's your problem? Settle down. You're not acting like a leader now. I guarantee you, he didn't do that. He's probably like, my father. Can I say something? 
What? A very trusted servant, I'm sure. The man of God had said, go and wash in Jordan seven times. What is his problem, right? Naaman's insulted. He's appalled by this thought of washing seven times in the Jordan. Okay, you may not do the things, things the, the way I would have expected or thought you should, but the Jordan with its muddy banks and murky waters? That's totally unacceptable. I've heard that before. I'd rather die than dip in that filth. And that's what he was saying. Again, I think it's interesting to note that Jesus Christ, who's king of both heaven and earth, willingly took his place in the Jordan. You ever think about that? When you read that story? Here's this man with leprosy, filthy, dirty man, supposedly, a, a picture, a perfect picture of sin in the Bible. He's unwilling to get into that muddy Jordan. And yet Jesus Christ, who's the Savior of all mankind, the Creator of all mankind, willingly took his place in Jordan and was baptized. <clears throat> what exceptional humility. Fortunately for this man, Naaman, his servant, does come to his rescue, convinces him that it's not about insult, but instruction. It's a prescription. <clears throat> Again, if the man of God had asked you to, to do something courageous or death-defying, wouldn't you have gladly complied? So just do what he says and see what happens. A person's life is wrecked and ruined, and they come seeking deliverance. The prescription's given, <clears throat> but they feel it is far beneath them. Sadly, they're insulted, and they leave in a rage only to self-destruct. That wouldn't be just naming. That's people today in our America. That's people in the church. <clears throat> there's a problem in our life again. It's addressed. The prescription's given. We want it addressed, we want it resolved, and so the pastor or some spiritual biblical counselor says, read the Bible, pray, and memorize these scriptures, and follow through with this. And we go, read my Bible and pray? Memorize scripture? <clears throat> I expected something more tailored to me and my busy schedule. I don't have time for all that. I didn't go there to, be, to have some kind of homework assignment given to me. I went there to get healed. Oh, wait, I, I see. You want your problem addressed and resolved, but you don't want to dip in that muddy Jordan. Isn't that something? You had all the answers all along, but for some reason you're still a mess. That's right. Don't listen to me and don't do what I'm telling you. Just go back to Havana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, and dip in them then. How'd that work for you last time? Do you realize there are believers all over the place that have not followed through with what their pastors have told them, have not done what God's Word has told them, and they keep trying to do it over and over and over the way the world does it, and they keep getting more frustrated and more frustrated, and they're still just as leprous as they've ever been. They're still just as bound by sin as they've ever been. They're still just as, as, as overwhelmed with life as they've ever been, and they just won't dip in the Jordan. That's just too simple. Or that's just too much work. Go dip in a muddy river. We tell folks to train up their ki children in the Bible way. Try to tell them. Show them scripture, even have a class for it. But I watch Dr. So-and-so, and he's not a real advocate of spanking, Pastor. He doesn't agree with that philosophy or that outlook. Hmm, I, I see. He 
He says it breeds anger and resentment and ultimately makes them abusers. I mean, we want our child to be obedient, but we don't want to have to dip in the muddy Jordan now. Okay, so the Bible has a few verses on it. Okay, so the Bible takes a position on it. But, 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 but we have scientific evidence. We have real proof today. I mean, look around us. Look at all the abuse. Yeah, I wonder why that is. I'm just wondering, how's all that working for you? That timeout corner. How's that working for you? I'm wondering how all that sitting down and discussing things with your kids and trying to reason with a three-year-old's working. I wonder, how's that work for you? Is it working? Of course it's not working. I say this respectfully, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but God's not stupid. Are you kidding me? He created us. He knows what we need. We think we know better than God. We're just like Naaman, going to the man of God or the word of God or to God himself. And then all of a sudden, we think we've got a better solution. And he says, dip in the muddy Jordan. And we say, what? The muddy Jordan? Are you crazy? We'll go back to Havana and Parfar, those, those rivers of Damascus. Go ahead, uh, go ahead, get on in them and, and bathe in those. That's fine. But let me ask you, how's that working? It's not working. Then there's these roles we talk about in relationships. You know, husbands and wives. I mean, I, they, come on now, preacher. That stuff's old-fashioned. That stuff don't work. We've got problems in my marriage, but man, I mean, come on now. We need restoration, preacher. Our marriage is falling apart. We can't get along. We don't communicate. We don't talk. We've got all these problems. Oh, I see. Hmm, let me see here. I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to do this and this and this. And the Bible says this and this and this. And I want you to sit down and read this book. And I want you to work together. And I want you to pray together. And, 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 and The biblical model of marriage is presented. And they say, I know you mean well, but no one does it that way anymore. I mean, we want our marriage restored, but we don't want to have to dip in that muddy Jordan. I see, you'd rather go back to Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, and dip in them, right? How's that working for you? You know, that's basically what Naaman's servant said to him. I can't stand that man of God. How dare him insult me like that? Naaman, how's those other rivers working for you? Why do we end up coming here anyway, remember? Because nothing else works. The least we can do is do what we were told to do. We at least have hope that it might work. I wanted to give up on it before I even tried. We want the Betty Ford Clinic. Ten-step program. We want the patch or some rehab. We want pills. Or some effortless means to overcome our shortcomings and problems. I mean, come on, let's just face it now. I mean, you are just a preacher now. You're just a pastor. You're just a preacher. What do you know? You won't tell me that, but you'll tell that to your spouse. And I'm not saying you. I'm saying if the shoe fits, wear it. But don't think for a minute things like that don't happen. And you may not even say it with your lips, but you thought it in your heart or you'd have done what you were told. Oh, he don't know what he's talking about. He's just like all the rest of us. He's just a man. He don't have a PhD in front of his name. He didn't go through counseling classes and have this, this title on his wall. I don't see nothing on his wall that says he's a certified counselor. Why'd you waste your time coming to me? Why'd you go to the man of God, Naaman? If it was working out so well before, if all those PhDs and all those DRs and everybody else that had a diploma on the wall was working out so well for you, why'd you go desperately to the man of God in Syria, in, in Samaria? And then when he gives you the prescription, it's not like he's asking you to go kill your mother-in-law. 
Then again, you may want to do that. I don't know. But he's not telling you to do something that's outrageous and outlandish. He's just asking you to go dip in the muddy Jordan. I'd like to believe that the preacher, whether it's myself or some other pastor down the road, maybe in another ministry or possibly in this church one day or wherever it might be, I want to believe that the preacher is going to show you some biblical principles and proven means to victory in your life. See, the Bible is still God's way. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For the heaven, heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. No wonder Naaman didn't get it. Because this was God's way. And God wants a man to come to him humbled. And Naaman came in all his arrogance, his pomp, and his pride. And he said, Are you nuts? Dip in a muddy Jordan River? I've got rivers I could be sitting in and dipping in, and you want me to go to that filthy, muddy Jordan? Pride, pomp, arrogance. Psalm 18.30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. That means it's proven and it's tested. This book... And its prescriptions work, folks. You you go ahead and do it. You can live however you choose. You're welcome to come to Community Baptist Temple. We love you anyway. But let me tell you something. You want the results that you read about in this book? You have to do it the way God says. That's all there's to it. It's not hard in the sense that, oh, what do I have to do? Well... It's here. Let's find out and then do it. If you're supposed to be in your Bible every day, if you're supposed to be on your knees regularly and faithfully and consistently, if you're supposed to be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ in in faithful service and attendance, then do it. If you want the result, do it. But do not cop out on God. Do not walk out the doors of Community Baptist Temple and say that God did not work. That the Bible's not true. That although it says it's tried, proved, and tested, and that it works in every circumstance and situation when it is applied by the person coming to God. Don't tell me God failed you, because He does not fail. I'm not going to listen to that. I will not listen. I tried it, it didn't work. No, you didn't work it. That's all there is to it. Do not tell me it doesn't. Well, you don't understand. There are people in that church that have discouraged you. I don't care about other people. I care about you. What did you do? But you don't understand. I do understand, but it doesn't matter because God doesn't when it comes to that. He wants you to obey Him. Go dip in the muddy Jordan is all you have to do. But that just doesn't seem like it's possible. That's too simple. And furthermore, I'm a little above that. Isn't there some other new means and more educational methods? I don't know. I don't know of them if there are. I do know one thing. I don't need to get a big degree in the most recent developments in psychotherapy to help people in their lives today. Because the same book that's been helping people for thousands of years is in my possession. I don't need a new textbook to help people's marriage. I don't need a new textbook to help some family who's struggling with their their children. I don't need this to help somebody through a hard time or difficult time. I just need the book. I don't need a new one. Well, people are suffering like never before today. No. Have you read your Bible? Are you kidding me? People are suffering like never before? Oh, there's temptation today like never before. Oh, really? Have you read Genesis 6? Honestly, folks, have you looked at the book of Corinthians? I mean, are we we're kidding ourselves today. Well, you know, this is just too simple and it, it's too muddy. I know it's muddy, but it works. We love this preacher. Thank you. This is so encouraging and helpful to us. (laughs) 
I want you to notice something, though. He was disillusioned. He was even disgusted, but I want to tell you something. Naaman was delivered. He's delivered. Verse 14 tells us over there. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan. According to the latest edition of Psychology Today. No, 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 he he dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the what? Saying of the man of God. People have been hurt so badly today. People have experienced horrible situations in their life where leaders Stepdads, others have taken advantage of them, hurt them, harmed them, abused them. That today we don't even trust the man of God. Well, we've got to be careful with that. You say, Well, I had a pastor who hurt. I know that. Take some time, get to know your pastor, make sure in your heart, if he's feel, if you, if you're. You're praying, you're seeking God's face. God will begin to heal some of those hurts and help you to trust him. Then you have to fight your feelings because feelings are not legitimate. In many cases, those are not legitimate. And you have to obey God's word. And when you are in a mess and you're looking for a prescription to help you in a problem, a situation, a circumstance that seems to be somewhat overwhelming and you just want some outside opinion, you want an observation to give you some insights maybe that you can't see in the midst of the storm and the man of God steps up and says, the Bible says, and you need to do this, trust him. If it's there and it makes sense and it will make sense, it should make sense. (laughs) It should. Now again, sometimes... If we're so twisted and upside down in our life, it may not sound even, it'll sound strange maybe. That's, but it'll be too simple, or it won't be as complicated, or it won't involve something that you think is going to be there. It has to be there. Just like Naaman, he thinks he should be doing jumping jacks and rolling on the floor and running a half mile in under 20 seconds or something crazy. All he's got to do is dip in a muddy Jordan. It should, it, it's simple. It's simple. If it's extremely complicated, it's probably not the right answer. Just, just don't, don't let yourself go there. He obeyed. He was convinced by a servant. He dips in the Jordan, and guess what? He comes out clean. There's a great little course. You've sang it, I've sang it. <clears throat> Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Here it goes now. It's the fun part. O-B-E-D. I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Amen. Obedience. See, one of the greatest challenges in the Christian life is to obey, isn't it? Isn't that what we war with? Obedience. I don't think it's ignorance. I think it's obedience. I think for the most part, most people have a pretty good idea of what they should be doing. It's just that we struggle to do it. That is an obedience problem. Naaman knew exactly what he should do. He just didn't want to do it. And you know what? We are quick to substitute obedience with a number of good things. We see evidence of this in Samuel when the prophet speaks to Saul after he fails to fully obey the Lord. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. That's a tough one, isn't it? God, you want me to obey. The Holy Spirit convicts a man to go into full-time service. Instead, he says, you know what? I'll give more to missions. I'll start doing more in service. I'll do my best to even win more souls and go more often, but I just won't go that far. See, obedience is better than sacrifice, though. We could take a long time talking about that. We're not. He obeyed and he overcame. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Ladies, wouldn't you like your flesh to be that of a little child's? You put all that stuff on to moisturize and make your skin soft. Naaman's was soft as a baby's cheek. I didn't say which one. <laughs> Can you imagine him? He comes up out of that water the seventh time. He's like, I'm clean! I'm clean! I'm clean! Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how excited he would be? Oh, man. I, I can't. I, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he came out. Hmm. My horse. I don't think so. I think he came out and was like, I mean, I'd have been like the maniac of Gadara or something. I'd have been going crazy. I mean, honestly, just imagine if you had a terminal disease. And I mean that quick, you were healed. Don't tell me you wouldn't be excited and want to shout. I would. Naaman was shouting. He was shouting, it worked, I'm clean, I'm clean. Naaman overcame why? Because of his obedience. And you know, we're more than conquerors too. When we obey. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Notice, through him. You know what that's saying? That's saying when we obey him. Through him is through his word. Through him is what he says. We obey the Lord. We do exactly what he says. It's through him. Who, who, got, who helped your family? He did. Who, who restored your marriage? He did. Who, who brought your wayward children back? He did. You get where I'm going? I mean, it's through him we're more than conquerors. Finally, he was decided and we're done. Notice it says this, and this is great. In, in 50, I love this part. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. <laughs> Naaman was decided. I mean, all of a sudden, he was convinced, he was decided. Why? Because he had experienced the supernatural results of faith firsthand. He now could stand and make the statement, Now I know that there's no God in all the earth but in Israel. You know what? It is amazing how quickly the heart can be convinced. It's amazing. You know, we we live in a culture and a society, we think somehow that everybody's so hard, so cold, so rock-like that nothing penetrates their heart. I'm going to tell you something. For years, Naaman had been indoctrinated in paganism. For years, he had been taught that there are multi-gods, and he had been taught about different temples and sacrifices. He, he was, had been ingrained and indoctrinated in paganism. And yet, one incident, seven times dipped into a muddy river, he comes out, and he is decided, and he is convinced His whole life and his whole attitude is now different because of that one experience. When a man or woman encounters the truth 
and the power of God, they are changed forever. Whether it's salvation or whether it's in your Christian life. We talk about it all the time. Everybody needs to experience a personal victory. Why is that? My victories will never motivate you to live for God. They may encourage you. They may may excite you, but they will not keep you consistently obedient to God. Only when you experience God's mighty hand firsthand in your life will you say, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's what the young people need. They can't live on our faith. I I, I mean, as parents, we do our best to, to... pass down our faith, but in the end, they have to accept it. In the end, it's up to them what they do with it. I mean, there's a part that we say, if you do everything right, they'll turn out perfect. Yeah, well, are you perfect? I'm not excusing things, but I'm telling you this. Ultimately, you have to live Christ before them. You have to experience supernatural, the supernatural hand of God in your life. You gotta, you gotta place within them a hunger to want to see it themselves, experience it themselves firsthand, and then they've got to want it themselves. And if they will experience some things of God, then maybe, just maybe, if they'll experience the almighty, supernatural hand of the almighty in their own life, They then will say, I know that there's no God in all the earth but in Israel. And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about in their Christian daily life. It's not enough to have family devotions. That will not keep them on track. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You ought to. But that's not going to keep them faithful to God. You going to church three times a week will not keep them faithful to God. Listen to me. There's an aspect here where you've got to beg God to protect, watch over your children. And then you've got to beg God that they catch it. You've got to beg God that they get it. That somehow it's real to them. That the hand of God is real. And they experience a soul being saved because of their efforts on behalf of Christ. That, that because of their efforts, they, they, they watch God answer prayers and they beg God for finances or they beg God to provide something. And God did it, not because mom or dad met the need, not because somebody else stepped in, but because they knew it had to be God. No matter who it was that stepped in, they knew one thing. No one knew but God, and He did it. He is real. We need our young people to have that. That's the only thing that will keep them in the church house after they turn 18, 19, 20, and 21. They've got to have it themselves. Because if they don't, it's going to be hard-pressed hard to keep them here. The youth program, the singles program, and all the things, activities, will not keep a young man or young lady in church. It has to be God sooner or later. It has to be God himself. <clears throat> he was decided, though. He was decided. I just don't think we should give up so easily on people. You know, those people that we think are too hard. One, one supernatural encounter with the God of heaven. One supernatural encounter. And everything will change like that. Not only has he decided, but the psalmist was. He said, what time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee. What time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee. Do you trust in him? That statement is the result of experience again. David stood toe-to-toe with the giant in the valley of Elah, and he walked back out of the valley with his head in his hands. He had faced the wrath of King Saul, and he fled from his armies only to ascend to his throne. He had battled with the host of the Philistines time and time again, and yet he returned doing a victory dance before the multitudes. He knew the loss and despair of Ziklag, but he remembered the mighty deliverance of God who restored them all whole. He found himself in the valley of the shadow of death, yet he was not afraid. See, the psalmist was decided because he too had experienced God's presence and power firsthand. Let me ask you, as we close this thing out, can you look back on experiences that move you to say, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee? 
Or can you, like Naaman, with confidence say, I know that there is no God in the, all the earth but in Israel? Boy, we serve a mighty God who is only limited by our faithless dreams and ambition. Did you hear what I said? We serve a mighty God who is only limited by our faithless dreams and ambition. A.B. Simpson, speaking of God, said, He is not wanting great men, but He is wanting men who will dare to prove the greatness of their God. I, I, I don't think you got that. When I, when I read that, I about jumped out of my seat. Matter of fact, I text my wife who was out of town and said, this is awesome. You've got to hear this. A.B. Simpson said, he is not wanting great men, but he is wanting men who will dare to prove the greatness of their God. Amen. Andrew Murray said, beware in your prayer, above everything, of limiting God. Not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Expect unexpected things. Above all that we ask or think, each time you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear Christ of your place in Christ and expect great things. Naaman may have been disillusioned and disgusted at first, but in the end he was delivered and decided. He had personally experienced the mighty hand of God at work in his life, and as a result he was never the same. And I trust that you're not disillusioned. I trust you're not expecting special treatment or immediate results. I trust you're not disgusted tonight, insulted and appalled by the simple solutions of the Word of God. And again, God help us to remember those Muddy water Jordan, those, excuse me, those muddy Jordan experiences that left us clean. And when we do remember, we'll forever be decided. We'll be convinced to both serve God and tell the world about His saving grace. Naaman was muddy, but clean. And tonight, we need to get muddy. And in so doing, we too will be clean. Father, we come to you.